0: Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for tuning in to AOA on this Thursday, August 4th. We've got some news in the commodity markets today. For the first time since March, crude oil is below $90 a barrel. We'll talk through the market moves both in energy and in the commodity markets with Arlen Suderman in segment three. He's the chief commodities economist there at Stonex. Before we get to Arlen, we're going to talk with Megan Kaiser. She's the vice chair of the United Soybean Board. She is a farmer director, and she's going to bring us up to speed on the changes there Making their investment portfolio heading into 2023 to keep driving demand for U.S. soybeans. But before we get to Megan, folks, we're going to circle back on a story we've been talking about the past several weeks, which is the ongoing protests in the state of California over their independent imp- or contractor law. AB5. Joining us now to discuss it is Colin Campbell. He is a reporter with Supply Chain Dive. He has been covering these protests and the labor issue here for the better part of a month. And he joins us today for an update. Colin, thanks for taking the time to fill us in.
2: Yeah, thank you for having me. I really appreciate being uh, included on the show. Um, We actually just reported the other day that the port, Port of Oakland has filed suit against some of the participants in those protests which is the latest development here um, in this story. Um, we, we know that this, this has been a, a major story that you all have talked about on this show. Um, the lawsuit actually is, is as designed to prevent future protests than uh, as it is to stop current ones. The, the ones as we understand it have kind of quieted down. Um, they were threatened with um, being cited for blocking the gates and, and those who continued their protests moved to a, what they call a free speech zone that wasn't blocking the terminal gates. Um, so, so those protests have actually quieted, quieted down, um, but the, the story continues in terms of what the port is doing to try to prevent future protests, and frankly, what this is gonna mean for, for drivers across California.
0: Indeed it is, and we're still seeing it play out. Colin, you've been focusing on this for some time. Give us an update on the current situation for AB5. It is still law. Do you know when they're going to start enforcing it?
2: You know, we're we're still keeping an eye on that. We don't know the answer to that just yet. Um, For background, Gavin Newsom, the governor of California, signed AB5 into law in 2019, and it was supposed to take effect in January of 2020. Um, before it got held up by the legal challenges all the way to the Supreme Court. Um, the Supreme Court, um, which declined to hear uh, the California Trucking Association's challenge to the law, um, that, that happened on June 30th. So it could be enforced as soon as the next couple of weeks. Um, and we have I, I reached out to the governor's office um, because there were requests to the governor to, to delay enforcement, to give the industry some more time to... Kind of figure out how to comply and what they needed to do Um, and the all indications from the california governor's office are that, that, that they plan to move forward with enforcing this law including for the trucking industry
0: and colin this law matters for the trucking industry particularly as it relates to the port as far as i understand it because a majority of those drivers hauling goods in and out of the port doors are independent contractors is there a solution that the industry has developed for these workers
2: You know, that's that's sort of one of the big question marks that is is outstanding. Uh, Landstar has actually encouraged its California owner-operators to consider moving their operations out of state, um, which was
3: in their earnings
2: call, uh, my my Transport Dive colleague, David Taub, reported. Um, And so that that would obviously be a pretty drastic measure. Um, I I wanna clarify and, and really, firmly state that I am not a lawyer, but my broad understanding of of driver's options and and carrier's options who who are employing independent contractor drivers is that they have really two routes here. They can either become an employee, which many say they don't want because they enjoy their freedom to set their own hours and decide which loads to haul. Or the, the more expensive route is to get their own operating authority, um, which is particularly expensive due to insurance, especially if you're a small business with only you know, one or a couple of trucks. Um, so that's really, I mean, there are probably other options. Um, I, as I said, I'm not a lawyer, but from, from talking to folks who, who are having these conversations and, and getting into the nitty-gritty of it, it sounds like those are their two main routes. Forward.
0: That makes sense, Colin. We've been talking about it in the context of the ports, and obviously that's where the the lawsuit is and the protests have been. Is there a wider implication for the overall, at least domestic supply chain as enforcement begins with
2: this law? Absolutely. If, if I mean, if the seventy thousand owner operator drivers in California can't operate in the way that they are operating today, it will the. the uh, concern from the industry anyway is that it will take many of them off of the road or at least delay, you know, cause more shipping delays as they navigate through what to do. Um, and and that's, I mean, that's the busiest ports in the country are in Los Angeles and Long Beach. So if, if 40% of the imports that come through those ports can't make it on time to where they're going, that's an obviously major impact. But more broadly, outside of California, if similar laws are passed and enforced in other states, targeting these gig economy workers and trying to make sure that, that by the way, by the way, we should say that the, the um, point of the the law is to try to extend worker benefits um, to folks who, who drive for, say, you know, Uber, Lyft, other other uh, companies that employ independent contractors. Now, Uber and Lyft and 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 the rideshare companies got. A, a carve out and that is actually what these protesters wanted for the trucking industry as well. They wanted to say, we, we are exempt because we are in this particular protected industry and therefore don't have to follow this law. Um, it, 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 it gets really complicated as to you know who, who wants what, and, and there are obviously unions uh, involved and, and others, but um, that's the, the major concern is what happens if this law goes beyond California um, and what that would do to the base of the trucking industry.
0: Yeah, yeah, could be could be big implications uh, throughout the country. You cover the supply chain really in total. Colin, what other issues are you watching right now that could present a risk to folks later on this year?
2: You know, the, the biggest one to me is just the, the looming will it, won't it recession um, that is, is coming, looks like it, it could be potentially coming our way on the heels of all this inflation. Um, you know, there's there's plenty of stories. Or we, we've done plenty of stories, as have others, about um, companies pulling forward orders to counter long lead times and, you know, the growing backlogs that they have faced due to supply chain issues. But if there's a recession, I mean, that, that could really – complicate all of these things. You could see companies scaling back their plans, cutting labor after spending the past few years really hustling on building up their their operations and recruiting. Uh, It could really exacerbate a lot of these issues that that we have seen and that we've been tracking.
0: Well, no doubt you're going to continue to cover these. Colin, where can our listeners keep up to date with your reporting and follow the work you're doing?
2: Well, actually, it's Two publications here under Industry Dive. Uh, one of them is Supply Chain Dive, uh, which where we cover the full supply chain, and the other is Transport Dive, which focuses on the trucking arm of the supply chain. They, they are Fan- yeah.
0: fantastic, folks. Check those out: transportdive.com, supplychaindive.com. You can see all of Colin's work right there. Colin Campbell, thank you so much for joining us today for the update on AB5. Really- And, folks, stick around when AOA returns. We're going to check in with Megan Kaiser on the changing priorities for the United Soybean Board. Stick around for more AOA. Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. Don't go away. More AOA coming right up. The American Coalition for Ethanol is hosting its 35th annual conference in Omaha, Nebraska, Wednesday, August 10th through Friday, August 12th. This must-attend event for industry leadership features timely updates on ethanol public policy, market development, board of director training, and more. This event combines the detail of high-level training courses with all the fun of a family reunion. For event details, visit ethanol.org. That's
1: ethanol.org. Choose the proven performance of the Roundup Ready Extend crop system, featuring high yielding Extend Flex soybeans and the exceptional weed control of Extendamax herbicide with vapor grip technology. Elite genetics, triple herbicide tolerance, flexibility that delivers results, backed by 25 years of innovation. That's the Roundup Ready Extend crop system, the system of choice. Max is a restricted use pesticide. Always follow stewardship practices, all pesticide label directions, and check with your state pesticide regulatory agency for specific restrictions in your state.
4: They say if you listen hard enough, you can hear the corn grow. It's true. When you're out in the field, you understand its challenges and what it needs to thrive. Channel Seedsmen bring insights from the field to our team of bear plant breeders. Their knowledge inspires our product development. From your best ground to your most challenging conditions, our products are designed to perform in your fields. Visit ChannelListens.com to see our latest innovations. Always read and follow IRM where applicable. Grain marketing and all other stewardship practices and pesticide label directions.
0: Are you looking to improve crop nutrition and soil health? Anuvia Plant Nutrients is holding several Future of Fertilizer field tours across the Midwest. The first tour stop is Cedar Falls, Iowa, on Tuesday, August 2nd, where Agriculture of America will be broadcasting live. The tour continues in Farmer City, Illinois, on August 3rd and Sheridan, Indiana, on August 4th. For more information on dates and locations and to reserve your spot, visit us at fertilizertour.com.
1: That's fertilizertour.com.
5: A message brought to you by Heart Valve Voice U.S. For more information about the symptoms and treatment for valve disease, go to heartvalvevoice-us.org.
0: You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. This is Mike Pearson, and you can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back to AOA, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for making us a part of your day today. You know, we talk a lot on this program about how things are changing, life is complicated, and the recent events of the past two years have certainly made it more complex and more volatile. And that means that a lot of times when we're working in this sector, we've gotta be quick and nimble and adjust our approach. And folks, that's what the United Soybean Board did. At the end of July, they held their summer meeting in Kalamazoo, Michigan, and took a look At their priorities in 2023 and wanted to figure out the best way to reach folks with the story of us soybeans to give us an update on what they've determined megan kaiser she's a farmer director currently serving as vice chair for the united soybean board she joins us today megan thanks for joining us and give us an update how do beans look down there in missouri
6: Hey, good morning, Mike. Well, uh, they look good. We're pretty optimistic. We, uh, we've been pretty dry, so our dryland corn isn't looking as good, but our beans, um, we could always use our timely showers here at the end as uh, we fill out those beans and pods, but um, we're, we're pretty optimistic that we have a, at least an average to above average uh, bean crop.
0: Well, that is good to hear. Now the question is, we got to find that demand for that bean crop that's growing out there in the field. Megan, U.S. Soybean Board, always working on that. Fill us in on the summer board meeting. What was under discussion?
6: Well our main focus of the July board meeting is that we pass our budget and this year uh, the 78 farmer directors from all across the country came together and we approved a 123 million dollar investment and program work for the uh, 2023 fiscal year so it was it 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 sounds like a a big number the board really has been working on this for months um, and we break out and do committee work and the July board meeting is when it all comes together Um, We spent a lot of time kind of sharing from committee to committee of how we got to the programs that we're investing in, Uh, but it's very much farmer director driven, and um, I'm, I'm really proud of the portfolio that we came up with.
0: And it's incredible. You can take that $123 million, you break it out into eight different investment portfolios to help drive demand for U.S. soybeans. Megan, let's talk about where the farmer directors are pointing these portfolios. What are some of the big changes you're seeing in 2023?
6: Well, I think the big changes that we're seeing is we've got a new uh, emphasis on the oil portion of the soybean. We call it the magic bean because not only do we provide uh, amazing protein through the meal portion of the bean, but also now the oil is becoming in high demand uh, as we look to the future and sustainable aviation fuel and also renewable diesel. And so the farmer directors have have, uh, really not only are we focused on the demand and making sure that we have uh, homes for both the meal and the oil uh, but we're also focused on the supply side because as our demand is is seeming to explode we want to make sure that um, the US soy continues to be the provider of choice to our international customers and that uh, we can we can meet the demand uh, by having top-notch sustainable productivity.
0: That is great. Yes, the, the demand that's coming from that sector is really exciting to see. And it, you mentioned in order to meet that demand, we've got to be aggressive on the supply side. Megan, what's USB going to do to help ensure that, that we have the supply of those soybeans that are going to be needed out there?
6: So we're, we're continuing to look at enhancing uh, soybean cropping systems and making sure that farmers have tools at their fingertips at the July board meeting. We also um, are USB will soon be launching a, a carbon toolbox, which is just informational uh, for farmers. If you're interested in getting onto uh, a carbon system, this would um, allow you to compare different markets and, um, you know, kind of see what would fit your farm best if you choose to do so. Um, but we're trying to become a little bit of a one-stop shop to make it less confusing for the grower so obviously uh, USB we always focus on um, you know education and promotion and research and um, we're doing the research and then trying to make sure that farmers have the tools they need to make the best decisions for their uh, acres and then at the end of the day that um, the, you know the end user realizes that by using US soy um, they're choosing the most sustainable feedstock for whatever product they're they're developing
0: help sell that marketing message and of course part of that is soil health megan what are we seeing the usb do in conjunction with some of the other uh, ag organizations out there
6: yeah, so we're um, obviously always looking at strategic partnerships and soil health is huge, not only um, for the potential of carbon markets, uh, but also for the potential of our, you know, obviously we want to have a healthy soil that makes a healthy crop and then in the end a healthy animal uh, or human that uh, consumes that. And so um, we're working um, through partnerships with uh, corn growers and pork producers to make sure that, um, you know, we're, we're continuing to Focus on the soil so that at the end of the day, our our product is uh, as sustainable and and healthy as possible.
0: That is good news. I want to talk to you, Megan, briefly, if I can, about the research that USB does. I mean, this is a USB has been instrumental in encouraging researchers to get out, take a look at soybeans. And I imagine as you look out to the future, funding that research in nutrition and health is going to be an important part of the, the mission as well.
6: Yeah, this is a major focus of USB. We're working to improve best management practices through partnerships that lead to faster, you know, real-time dissemination of pest and disease research findings, like developing pesticide and fungicide calculation tools Um, that help us farmers determine regional application thresholds uh, for maximum yield potential. We also have a a larger focus on uh, fertilizer and biologicals as those input prices go up. Farmers are very focused on making sure that you know everything that we put on we get the biggest bang for the buck and also you know that leads to a more environmentally sustainable um, farming practice and so those are a couple of the ways that we're we're, uh, kind of really focusing on uh, um, improving our our uh, efficiencies and sustainability.
0: And Megan, you you mentioned something interesting. You're going to increase uh, the focus of research on biologicals. Now, that's something I'm hearing about a lot in the countryside. I imagine this was probably a concern that was brought by farmer members to the board to say, hey, we're seeing these ads. Can we look into it? Is that how this process works?
6: That is exactly how this works. In February, we really kind of sit around, and sit around sounds uh, lazy, but we we get together, and we talk, and we talk, and we talk talk some more, but basically what we're really trying to pull out of uh, farmers is saying, what's happening at home? What are the things that when you're on your daily operation that I I see, wait a minute, I don't have enough information for this? Or how come, you know, one of our farmers brought forward, he said, you know, I use a lot of bale wrap. It'd be really cool if I were using soy-based bale wrap. Uh, that's you know more biodegradable uh, I'm using all this plastic. I, I want to use less plastic and more soy, um, and so we're like, well, all right let's see what we can do and so it's those kind of ideas that are coming from farmers that are coming from neighbors at home uh, before we meet together. Uh, that that they set the the ideas out there and then our our USB staff and team they kind of go out and they say okay, you know what? These are the best researchers that are really suited to do this investigation or to help us promote that message Um, and and these are the strategic partnerships where we can not only leverage, you know, the soy investment, but across several different sectors and uh, that really increases our our reach and um, then, you know, as that kind of portfolio develops, the board members are involved each month of getting updates of, okay, here's who we've identified, here's the kind of work that they're gonna do to, to fulfill the uh, concept that you set out. And so in July, really what we were doing, uh, in June and July, is, is each committee was looking at, um, you know, here's the work portfolio, does this match what you set out as a, as a committee in the beginning? Did we build the portfolio around what farmers want? And so it's a, it's a really incredible process. It's a little bit messy because you have to make sure that we're all on the same page and communicating clearly. Um, and it took a lot of work by these farmer leaders that have full-time jobs, obviously, you know, even during planting, they dedicated a lot of time to make sure that our, our soy checkoff dollars are invested, um, to, for a better future.
0: For a better future, both on the production side, then, of course, with relationships with consumers, Megan, talk to me, reaching out to consumers, I imagine going to grow in 2023 as more folks come into contact with the industry through biofuels.
6: Yes, I think so. And, you know, uh it- we're really at U.S. soybean um, record export volumes even now. Um, Over the last five years, we've increased 178% in Egypt, 298%, I think we should round up to 300% on that in Ecuador, Um, 91% in Vietnam, 18% these are increases um, in the last five years. So more than 28 billion dollars in revenue generated um, from our soy exports and a lot of that is in large partnership uh, due to our partnership with the U.S. Soybean Export Council um, and and the work that uh, you know our checkoff has done to really reach out and um, make sure that that people understand that U.S. soy um, has a great reputation and or different than the rest of the world.
0: It certainly does, folks. You can see more about the strategic plan for 2023 at UnitedSoybean.org. Megan Kaiser, thank you so much for joining us today.
6: Thank you for having me.
0: And folks, stick around. We're gonna talk with Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist at Stonex, here when AOA returns. Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. Don't go away, more AOA coming right up. Join us every Tuesday for Around the Table, brought to you by CHS, as we examine how the modern cooperative system solves today's biggest challenges. We'll be talking to CHS experts and farmers and ranchers just like you. And we'll learn how cooperatives apply innovation and technology to help co-op owners get more value every day. Join us around the table every Tuesday or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more.
7: You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen reporting. Well, as we take a look at the market trade here, working through our Thursday, the soy complex is off to the races to the upside as traders are watching that hot and dry forecast for the Western Corn Belt. Once again, we see great strength in bean meal and in soybeans here so far today, while the corn market is up moderately and wheat futures are mostly mixed with uh, spring wheat trading a little bit to the upside with Chicago and Kansas City wheat down a little bit, seeing just a bit of spread trading action going on there, it appears between the winter wheats and spring wheat with early spring wheat harvest just a few weeks away for some folks now overall The markets, of course, still watching the U.S.-China tensions over Taiwan. That seems there is a de facto blockade of Taiwan currently taking place as China conducts live-fire military exercises in six areas around the island nation, essentially shutting it off from trade with the outside world. Grain and oil seed prices, along with the energy markets, largely falling victim to a rotation of money out of these uh, previous inflation favorites yesterday. As the market takes more of a peak inflation view and also watches everything going on with the U.S. and China tensions, the Black Sea issues continuing, the weather and much more. Here so far today, crude oil down 74 cents a barrel, 89.92. In the grains, December quarter up 5, 6.01 at a quarter. November beans up 27 at a quarter at 13.97. August bean meal up 13.70 a ton, 4.95.40. August bean oil up 195.6703. September Chicago wheat, one lower, 7.62 at three quarters. September Kansas City wheat down a quarter penny, 8.35 at a quarter. Spring wheat, September up 5 at 8.80 and a quarter lean hogs august down 52 120 47 august feeder cattle down 77 178 57 august live cattle down 7 137 82 you're listening to aoa for the american ag network i'm jesse allen
8: Tips that are easy to understand and tailored to your lifestyle.
9: I like that too.
8: Plus, it's sponsored by AARP, so you know they got your back. Just head to aceyourretirement.org and make your plan to start saving for retirement. Thanks. That's aceyourretirement.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council.
0: This is Mike Pearson. Thanks for listening to Agriculture of America. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. welcome back ladies and gentlemen to aoa at the top of the show i mentioned we've got uh, you know kind of a benchmark happening today for the first time since march we're seeing crude oil trade below 90 dollars a barrel joining me to talk about the situation in the markets today is arlen suderman chief commodities economist at stonex and arlen i'm guessing on this crude oil front today's move is more related to recession fears than supply increases am i on the right track
3: yeah, you really are. And I think it says something, therefore, the grain and oil seeds have been able to break out of that a little bit, because yesterday they were going down with it. It's really been a rotation of money out of the inflation play. There's a sense in on Wall Street that we've had peak inflation, that inflation is headed down from here. So therefore, those funds who had been owning the food and energy commodities as a hedge against inflation have been getting out in recent weeks and, and that has kind of continued. Um, I disagree with that premise. I still see a lot of problems with inflation ahead of us, but I'm not what makes the market the fund money really is. And for now, that's the case. And so once, if I'm correct, once they see that we still have persistent inflation i think that we will see that money coming back in but but uh, crude oil definitely feeling that and, and it's really twofold It's the problems in china with the restrictions and lockdowns reducing demand for crude oil in the world market um, but it's also fears about a recession here in the united states which we are technically in right now i think it's more of a stagnant e- economy more than a recessionary economy i don't know if one's really that much worse than the other they're both not good, um, but fears that we're going to see declining demand, and we're already seeing that on the gasoline side. We're seeing basically a trend toward lower gasoline consumption, and that's the only reason that we've seen a drop in gasoline prices in recent weeks is because of that decline in demand um, because of this economic situation we find ourselves in.
0: Arlen, looking over at the grain commodities, or I guess let's start with the oil seeds because we've got soybeans really moving today. November up 28 cents. We're knocking on the $14 mark. What's driving the strength in the soy complex today?
3: Well, first of all, keep in mind that we're in a world, as we've talked about before, that when we get momentum in any one direction, these algos who are so are so dominant in the markets today, the computers that trade momentum signals, they pile on orders in that direction, and they magnify the move. If we were simply... Take the computers out of it. We were back to the pit trade days. We would not be up this. Well, maybe we we wouldn't be up this amount, but we wouldn't have been down so much as what we've been down. It wouldn't have been such a roller coaster ride. It would have been smoothed out quite a bit in all likelihood. Uh, But we have taken the attention back off of this rotation of the money out of these inflation trades back to the fundamentals of supply and demand. We were there last week and then to start this week we kind of forgot about it and went back to those macro market things. Now we're getting back again to Um, focusing on the supply and demand fundamentals and I I think there was a little bit of confusion in the marketplace about this weather picture there's a couple of forecasters who I follow really closely who I think nailed it real well and it's playing out just as we thought it would based on that we came into the month of August we knew that we were going more toward a dominant pattern with high pressure in the middle of the country that was going to leave things leaning hot and dry it wouldn't be totally dry There would be periods of showers in there, particularly for the corn belt. Maybe the central plains would be more uh, closer to bone dry type of a situation, but there would be periods of showers, but it simply wouldn't be enough to offset the heat, and that risks... Seed size and during this grain fill time, this critical grain fill time, that risk seed size. We expected that the yield estimates and production estimates coming out from private estimates and USDA for August would show fairly normal crops that's what they're doing to this point but that the real question would be what do we find when we get in the field and combine in september and october uh, because of that smaller seed size and i think that's a primary question and the markets kind of refocusing on that now we do have a critical opportunity for rain for some western areas of the Midwest coming in this weekend. The models are in big disagreement on how that system's going to perform. If we get some good soaking rains, that will be very beneficial. If those rains kind of falter and disappoint, then I think the loss is going to be more significant, and it's something that now the market's putting some risk premium back in to account for.
0: Arlen, next Friday, USDA is going to release their August uh, World Sub- Agricultural Supply and Demand Estimates, that WASDE report. As you mentioned, the challenge we're in now with the corn crop is that we're seeing the-, the seed size decrease with these hot nights in particular. We know that for the August report, USDA isn't out in the field. Are you anticipating any changes to yield either on corn or on beans?
3: Yeah, that's something a lot of people don't realize because USDA used to be out in the field for their August report, and uh, a few years back they quit doing that in August and don't do that now until September. So this report is going to be based on a farmer survey, satellite data, and their modeling that they do considering a lot of different data points that they put into it, and then assume normal weather from this point forward. Uh, I do expect a very modest decrease in yields, um, from USDA, I don't expect anything significant. I think it'll be very modest in nature what they do. I, uh, and I, I do think that there will be a change in yield because it's a totally different system for estimating yield now from what it has been for May, June, and July. So just changing systems, you will generally get a change in the number that's printed. And and my bias is that it will be slightly lower, but I think for those who are looking for it to really reflect this August weather pattern, no, it won't. Uh, I wouldn't expect that because the August weather, this is an estimate as of August 1, right as this August weather pattern was really just getting started.
0: Well, let's take a look over at the supply or excuse me, the demand side of the ledger. Arlen, we saw I saw some commentators this past week uh, mentioning the weakness in soybeans Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday was in part because of Nancy Pelosi's visit to China or Taiwan rather and the unexpected response of China. Do you think now that she's left and China's shot their missiles, we've seen the extent of whatever retaliation might be coming from China?
3: And no, I, I don't. I've been seeing this pattern all summer long as tensions have been building between the United States and China, even before Nancy Pelosi announced her desire to visit Taiwan. And I think that just amplified it more and, and sped up what the direction we were going anyway. I've been seeing that China, rather than buying U.S. soybeans this summer at times when Brazil's um, prices were high, Uh, would simply dump more soybeans out of their reserves. Now, that means they're emptying their reserves. They're going to have to fill it at some point, but they've been trying to avoid buying from the United States. They've been taking shipment of the corn that they already had on the books but they haven't been buying more any significant amount of additional corn to speak of so taking shipment of what they had on the books getting it shipped but not buying much more in the way of corn and soybeans I think they want to avoid doing business with us I've noticed that obviously they finally came to a phytosanitary agreement to buy corn from Brazil this summer. They also, and something that hasn't received much press, have an agreement now to buy soy meal from Brazil. You say, why would they do that? And that was within the last week um, as well. Uh, Why would they buy soy meal when their own crushing plants are only operating at about 60 percent of capacity? That enables them to meet their protein needs um, if the United States would put sanctions on them or if they simply wanted to ab- avoid buying soybeans from us, do I think they're going to stop buying soybeans? No, they're still buying some new crop soybeans from us. Um, they don't want to import soy meal unless they have to, but they're making ways to get by. If they have to get to that point of avoiding purchasing from United States, now from a standpoint of the world balance sheets, the world balance sheets are tight enough that if they refuse to buy from the United States and they go to Brazil for everything, that means some of Brazil's customers are going to get shoved up here uh, to do business with us. So it does; it's not a direct one-to-one loss in demand for the United States, but it does show how we need to be prepared for losing our dependency on those exports to China for our products.
0: Well, the other demand story that we've been watching for the past six months on the ethanol side, Arlen, you mentioned gas usage is declining. Are we seeing that reflect back upstream in ethanol demand?
3: Yeah, and for the current marketing year that ends August 31st, I'm looking for USDA to cut its ethanol estimate by at least 35 million bushels, uh, probably a combination of this report and the September report as more data comes in and they officially know where we stand with it. Uh, and, and I think we'll see that decline go into the next marketing year as well. So we're seeing that softer demand. The one thing that's been saving us has been stronger exports as fuel has been in shorter supply around the world with what's going on with Russia and Ukraine. uh, More countries are trying to depend more on some of the biofuels and and we're seeing stronger import demand uh, or export demand from US. And that's helping keep us from seeing a, a sharper decline in ethanol usage.
0: All right, Arlen, these things keep changing. Value of the dollar, do you think we have peaked?
3: Uh, That really comes down to Europe and what happens in Europe. And it would be good for U.S. exports if we had peaked, but Europe's got a lot of economic problems. They're on the front lines of this war with Ukraine, and so they're being impacted more directly. And so we've got to see some ways to support the euro, which means more aggressive use of their monetary policy. But they're reluctant to do that with the economic challenges that are still facing them because of that war.
0: lots of headwinds left ahead, lots of volatility in the grain markets. We've been speaking with Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist with Stonex. Arlen, thanks for joining us. Thank you, Mike. Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. Don't go away. More AOA coming right up.
1: You are
2: not your diagnosis.
1: A medical chart is not your identity
8: and vision loss does not define you. Your drive shows who you are. And you are not alone. Because we are driven too. To be a beacon of strength. A champion of courage.
1: An advocate for hope.
8: You are not alone. Because we are stronger together. We drive the research for the cures we
5: are finding.
1: We're fighting macular degeneration.
5: Retinitis pigmentosa. Usher syndrome. And the entire spectrum of blinding retinal diseases.
1: We fund.
8: We fight.
5: We, we win. win.
8: We. 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 We are the, are the Foundation, Foundation Fighting, fighting blindness. blindness. Together, we are fighting blindness.
1: Join the fight at fightingblindness.org. I'll take
6: dig a little, learn a lot for 30 bushels.
1: Soft and crumbly. Tom, how does healthy soil feel to the touch? Correct. Dig a little for 40
10: bushels. Sweet and earthy. Tom, what does healthy soil smell like? Yes, go again. Dig a little for 50 bushels. Dark, porous, and alive. Tom, what does healthy
1: soil look like? You win. Choose the proven performance of the Roundup Ready Extend crop system, featuring high yielding Extend Flex soybeans and the exceptional weed control of Extendamax herbicide with vapor grip technology. Elite genetics, triple herbicide tolerance, flexibility that delivers results, backed by 25 years of innovation. That's the Roundup Ready Extend crop system, the system of choice. Extendamax is a restricted use pesticide. Always follow stewardship practices, all pesticide label directions, and check with your state pesticide regulatory agency for specific restrictions in your state.
4: They say if you listen hard enough, you can hear the corn grow. It's true. When you're out in the field, you understand its challenges and what it needs to thrive. Channel Seedsmen bring insights from the field to our team of bear plant breeders. Their knowledge inspires our product development. From your best ground to your most challenging conditions, our products are designed to perform in your fields. Visit ChannelListens.com to see our latest innovations. Always read and follow IRM where applicable. Grain marketing and all other stewardship practices and pesticide label directions.
0: Are you looking to improve crop nutrition and soil health? Anuvia Plant Nutrients is holding several Future of Fertilizer field tours across the Midwest. The first tour stop is Cedar Falls, Iowa on Tuesday, August 2nd, where Agriculture of America will be broadcasting live. The tour continues in Farmer City, Illinois on August 3rd and Sheridan, Indiana on August 4th. For more information on dates and locations and to reserve your spot, visit us at fertilizertour.com. That's fertilizertour.com. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. This is Mike Pearson, and you can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. We have seen a lot of ongoing issues with the state of railroads across this country. These challenges developed during the coronavirus pandemic and they have accelerated and ag shippers have been growing frustrated and they have been pushing back. And of course, we're starting to see some change develop at the legislative level, level, including potentially reauthorization of the Surface Transportation Board. One person who tracks all of this stuff very closely is Mike Steenhook. He's the executive director of the Soy Transportation Coalition. He joins us today. Mike, thanks for filling us in on the changes that are taking place in the rail industry.
10: Hey, it's good to be with you. Thanks for having me, Mike.
0: You know, we have talked a lot over the past six months about the Surface Transportation Board and their role overseeing uh, rail traffic. But Mike, I didn't realize they have been operating without authorization for for two years now almost. Is that right?
10: Well, that that can sometimes happen in Washington, D.C., where, you know, kind of deadlines are more treated like suggestions, and um, so there's a lot of times where, you know, for example, a farm bill is supposed to be done next many number of years. Well, it ends up not happening until later, and you know things like, you know, the Surface Transportation Board, which that's the government agency. It's overseen by five commissioners, and and they they exist to mediate between railroads and rail customers, and also do things like approving mergers and acquisitions. They're supposed to be reauthorized every every five years and you know that hasn't happened so it certainly do uh to, to to do that um and but it really provides an opportunity to make sure that the the interests of rail customers is more emphatically you know expressed into that whole process with this reauthorization. so it, it does provide an opportunity to, to weigh in on some of these issues that are important to our industry
0: And weighing in is what the ag industry has been doing. I know there have been several letters filed with the executive branch over the challenges in rail shipping. Mike, now that they're talking about this reauthorization bill, what's in there that has ag shippers in particular uh, excited?
10: Well, the the, the real challenge is you, you want to make sure that you have a fair playing field between both railroads and rail customers. And, but the last thing you want to do is impose too stringent of a regulatory climate on the railroads that it, it, it no longer makes agriculture an attractive place for investment. You, you, want, you want agriculture to always be a place where railroads want to invest in. That's, a, that's an important part of their business. So you, you don't want to disrupt that. But then you also, there is opportunity to make sure that there is more of a balanced relationship between the two and that the, the Surface transportation board is better able to mediate between those two those two parties and i think with this with this piece of legislation it, it really seeks to address some of that without taking it too extreme uh, into a more aggressive regulatory climate so you know making sure that the the, the Surface transportation board has a more accessible dispute resolution process that there's greater ability that if there's a delay on loading uh, a, a train full of grain or, or soybeans, it's always quick to impose a penalty on the rail on the agricultural shipper if there's a delay. But there's less ability to impose a delay on the railroads when they themselves are are delayed in, in providing service. So it kind of helps provide additional balance with that. So it really is just an effort to make sure that this process is more accessible to rail shippers and really providing more of that balance between the interests of the railroads and rail customers.
0: All right, well, we'll see if this legislation ends up making its way to the finish line. In the meanwhile, Mike, we are gearing up. August is here, this soybean crop is developing. Harvest will be here before we know it. From the soybean perspective, are there any concerns you have about transportation as we get into the uh, the onslaught of harvest?
10: Yeah, I mean, you you know, there are remaining some significant concerns with rail service and the railroads admit that themselves, but they're not providing the service that they they want to provide to their customers. And so that's a, you know, and and it's more certainly the the challenges with cost of rail service, but it's more the reliability of rail service. So you expect a a train to arrive on a certain day and you as the shipper amass the, the, the personnel to be able to load that that train but then it doesn't show up that day and it may not even show up the next day and the next day that reliability of service is a real concern within the, the, the freight rail industry we continue to have challenges really with labor not only with railroads but also with trucking with with barges it, it really continues to have an imp- provide an impediment to getting our product to from point a to point b you know cost effectively and reliably and, and this is a, a time where we need all cylinders to be operating um, and firing in order to try to make sure that we're getting our product to our customers. There's there's a there's a lot riding on the U.S. farmer this year and our, and their ability to produce a crop. We got to make sure that we've got a supply chain that can that can accommodate it. And there are indeed some challenges.
0: Indeed, Mike. And on the inland waterway system in particular, I know we've gotten a lot of funding rolled out the door for those locks and dams. Will the construction, repair, rebuilding on those dams impede river traffic?
10: Yeah, the goal is to try to make sure that that's impacted, to minimize that impact. And and I think, you know, with, you know, the core, you know, of engineers, which that oversees the inland waterway system, yeah, they they have examples where they've been able to to do this work with minimal uh, inconvenience. But that's the real challenge is making sure that you're providing a lot of advanced notice to the rail customer, to the to BARS customers, so that they can make alternative uh, you know plans if they need to, to try to make sure that that construction activity is really um, confined to, to times of the year that are less busy. But you know th- these these are major infrastructure project so you would expect some degree of of inconvenience to occur you know the key is to really try to minimize it as much as possible
0: it certainly is we'll see if they're capable of doing that as those construction projects get underway in the meantime mike steenhook executive director of the soy transportation coalition thank you so much for joining us on AOA today thank you mike And folks, thanks for tuning in tomorrow. We're going to talk about potential disruptions in that supply chain once again, this time for crop protection chemicals. Tune in on Friday to AOA, ladies and gentlemen, and I hope you have a great day today. This is Mike Pearson. Thanks for listening to Agriculture of America. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around
1: the world. Young farmers don't listen to the radio, right? Wrong. In a recent survey, 74% of young producers said they get their most important agricultural information from their trusted farm radio station. Surprised? Don't be. If you think about it, it makes perfect sense. Radio is the perfect companion because it goes with you everywhere. Whether you're in the shop, on the combine, or in the truck, Farm Radio is right there with you. This message brought to you by the National Association of Farm Broadcasting. The possibility of lung cancer can be pretty scary, especially if you're one of approximately 8 million current or former smokers at high risk. That's why SaveByTheScan.org wants you to know that now there's a breakthrough low-dose CT scan that can detect lung cancer early, and it only takes 60 seconds. You stop smoking. Now start screening. For an easy quiz to see if you're eligible, visit SaveByThescan.org. It could save your life. SaveByThescan.org is brought to you by the American Lung Association's Lung Force Initiative and the Ad Council.